Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 8, The Battle. And returning with uh, Paul and myself is a uh, now familiar voice, if you've been listening to the podcast since the very beginning, uh, Oslik. Thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to be back. And uh, this time, I think we'll have a little bit more discussion about the content of the show and less about the ridiculousness of, of the writing, <laughs> because the last time you joined us, we got to talk about uh, episode three, Code of Honor, which was fun, but the episode, eh, not so much. At least uh, there's not a planet in this one. Yeah, that's true. This is uh, one of the, the famous uh, Star Trek bottle shows, right? I mean, that's uh, um, in science fiction, bottle shows were always uh, kind of notorious because those were the ones where they skimped on, you know, sets for a planet and extra location shoots and things like that. But in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, I always felt like sometimes the bottle shows, the, the shows that just never really left the ship or only dealt with, like, ship-to-ship stuff, sometimes those were the most interesting episodes, I thought. Well, they they have two bottles, right? Maybe That's true. And and yeah. all they, they have, like, 2.5 bottles because they, uh, they've got uh, the, the Enterprise, they've got the... Um, the ship that we'll talk about quite a bit in this episode, Picard's old starship, the Stargazer. And then, you know, whenever they've got Ferengis, presumably they have a ship, but at this point they're still showing them on those weird, just stark white backgrounds. So we have no right, idea right. what the ship actually looks like. <laughs> they've got that computer, the little lab where, where Bach is turning his, his dial. And <laughs> yes. Watching the- I just assume the inside of their ships is an Apple store. <laughs> nice. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, they well, are space traders, so they would probably be pushing high-end technical gear. This um, this episode kind of gets going um, in a weird spot because, um, like, uh, it, the central hook for it is Picard's, like, migraine, like which I thought was kind of a weird way to just, like, spring into it. Like, oh, I've just got this damn headache. Like, and he actually says, you know, this damn headache, which... Yeah. That was funny. Is that the very first scene? Is that where we start with Picard and Crusher in yeah. his quarters? Yeah. 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 Well, and Beverly, like, she acts like they've just completely cured headaches. Just yeah. forever. That's <laughs> right. It's like, oh, you have this old 16th century disease. Like, right. oh. Before we mapped the brain, before we understood the nature of pain, she says. Yeah, uh, which I find funny because stuff like that always... Um, it's it's always like a very clear intent to me now. Like it's a very clear signpost that's like, see, future. We have to we have to make the difference. This is the future. Headaches aren't a thing. You know, we've <sighs> we've solved that. Well, and and you, you know what's really interesting about this this particular headache, and and I guess we'll talk about where it comes from later. But since no one apparently headaches are so foreign to everyone, but everyone has an opinion on how he can get rid of his headache. <laughs> sort of like you should be less stressed out. Why don't you take a rest? Oh, maybe you're you're thinking too much about this. And it's it's like they're, you know, in some ways, as as advanced as the science is, where they've mapped the brain and understood the meaning of pain or whatever it is, everyone has a some weird psychological expl you know, uh, pain relief explanation for, for Picard and it runs through the entire episode and you're like, well, I guess this is really flummoxing everyone. They really don't know what to do. <laughs> and maybe the, the the thing that draws all that together is just everybody on on the Enterprise is really trying to get on Picard's sweet side and buttering him up. Like, no, Captain, here's what you do. Oh, that <laughs> headache, we'll, we'll help you out with that. Just, I don't know, drink well, some more milk or something. It's just such a strange thing to, to claim to have eradicated, right? Like... <laughs> well, what if you What if you just, like, bumped your head on on like a doorway or something like it would still hurt right they still have pain they still right. experience pain <laughs> and if that so, did happen would they immediately just swoop in and be like no headaches do no, not exist no. <laughs> oh. it's like oh you forgot to take you forgot to take your headache pill this morning to stop any headaches if you happen to maybe get them yeah yeah like, I, I do think what they tried to do with that, though, was, I mean, that that is the scene with Crusher. I think they were trying to be pretty deliberate with how they uh, framed that, where, you know, she's talking about how, well, it's true, headaches used to be quite common before we, you know, as you said, Oslik, before, before we mapped the brain. I think what they were trying to get at there is that 
it's not that nobody has headaches at all for no reason. It's just that the sort of general, pretty commonplace even today, just, oh, I have a headache kind of thing, like, is just not a thing that people deal with because of presumably high blood pressure is not normal and presumably, um, you know, muscle tension can be fixed fairly easily. And, you know, I, so I think what they're trying to do is just say that he shouldn't be having an unexplained headache. Right, right, right. That makes sense. And that's kind of, I mean, it's a weird way to, like, start a mystery, but it kind of, they sort of plant it there, and then they kind of, like, move on. And what I do appreciate about this episode is they they kind of stick it there, and for a while you're like, so is that going anywhere? What's that got to do with anything? And then they start to, you know, reel it back in and and make it part of the, the mystery, because... You know, very quickly we uh, move on to the the meat of the episode where uh, the Enterprise is to meet with uh, this Ferengi ship, uh, Daemon Bach. Uh, beams over with his two henchmen. Um, I always find it funny when they when they beam people directly to the bridge, <laughs> which is yeah. just like, I mean, I don't know why they bother to have a transporter room sometimes because occasionally they'll meet people <laughs> in the transporter room. And then sometimes they're like, we don't have the time. Let's just beam them here to the bridge. It's like, yeah, why? Yeah. Did you notice that the bridge was full of people? Yeah, it was fully staffed, hmm. and. It, there were people at all the science stations behind um, the 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 curve, I guess, or the, the handrail. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire bridge staff was on was on hand, and it's like uh, it was a uh, it felt pretty cramped in some sense. But I was sort of interested in like there was a sort of um, uh, an investment in staffing the bridge that day, and I figured maybe they didn't want to waste the energy. Like let's send everyone to the bridge, It'd be a nice party. Uh, everyone's here already. Um, it would have been nice if, uh, you know, Riker had mixed up a couple of drinks or something, you know, there on the <laughs> side, set up a little buffet table or yeah. something. Yeah. No, you're right. It didn't strike me, but now that you mentioned that, I remember that, that there were people, like, all over the place, which is kind of more season one inconsistency because sometimes the ship feels completely deserted. Um, mm-hmm. And then in other times like this, it's like, wow, there's a lot of people on that bridge. Like, yeah. okay. So that's yeah. – some of that stuff I think is, is – um, is all the season one like okay listen how many people need to be on the bridge <laughs> at any given time how many people can we find wandering around the back lot exactly <laughs> right who wants to wear the scant today mm-hmm. yeah and whoever drew the short straw wore the scant <laughs> exactly um so damon bach uh presents a gift which um what's nice about this is they do uh they do a nice job of selling that as well that like because we have a little bit of information about who the Ferengi are based off of um, their introductory episode just a, f- just a few episodes ago, we know that um, they're, you know, Yankee traders, that they're people who are out to make a buck, that they're, you know, they're space pirates, essentially. And so for them to do anything for free is immediately kind of like, okay, that's weird. Um, And they present him with, uh, I I like how uh, Damon Bach calls him the hero of Moxia and presents him with the starship that he thought was destroyed nine years ago, his original command, the USS Stargazer. Um, Mm -hmm. And it has that kind of nice reveal shot of of the ship. And it's actually what I like about this episode, too, is it's, um, it's a previously unseen ship. So they clearly went to some effort to make a new model for this ship. We'll yes. see it later in in Trek quite a bit, but this is the first time we see that specific style of ship, and it's there a cool it looking and, ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so the backstory behind this apparently is that um, they wanted it to be a Constitution class ship, so uh, like the Enterprise A. Oh. Um, and for whatever reason, they decided that they would switch this out. And so when Jordy and Data go onto the bridge of the Sargazer, they're actually saying Constitution class. And they dub over it to say Constellation class. Huh. Interesting. And the, and the ship itself is a kit bash. So apparently, like, if you look at the model in the um, in his ready room, which I think they actually put in much later after after this episode, um, it's got pieces of a V one uh, VF one Valkyrie on it, like the wings of a Valky- uh, the, the of the Robotech ship, the the uh, the fighter. <laughs> um, and it's like glued different pieces of stuff to it, so it had all those sort of edges and stuff like that. But um, sort of, it's a neat looking ship. I mean, uh, it, it's sort of it's a nice little bridge between uh, the movies and the and TNG, and it's something kind of neat. Like if you're a, if you're a ship nerd, you really want to see new ships, right? Like the first time you see the Prometheus and, and Voyager, first yep. time you see the um, the uh, the constellation class, right? Something new, and you want to think about what's the backstory behind this? How fast can it go? 
who you know why does it have four nacelles mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. right why is it so thick why does it have four nacelles so okay so here let's there's a, there's a lot there so let's kind of parse some of that apart first off i want to revisit <laughs> I we're going to get to my question but. uh well we will i promise but but first uh Oslik, i want to say uh pleasure to know you because you used the word kit bash so obviously you're a ship nerd like myself uh because you know what the term kit bash is for for people who haven't heard that um you know, sci-fi today, this is, oh my god, this is going to be like my dad talking. Hang on. Okay, I'm going to try to do this as best I can. You see, are you, you know. Sure the, are you sure you're not trying to say Kit Kat? No. Nope, like you're saying. Nope. Kit Bash. Kit Bash. So, uh, you know, effects today are all pretty much largely computer-driven. Everything in Star Trek The Next Generation is model-based. Uh, so it's same technology that they kind of pioneered in the original Star Wars. ILM, actually, Industrial Light and Magic did a lot of the effects for this show. Same studio, models in front of blue screens, green screens. But in order to do a, a television show, um, you don't have the time or the budget a lot of times to do full studio model builds, um, but you still sometimes need a new ship. So the term kitbash uh, came about because they would literally take like existing components and existing things that they had and then, you know, also, like, as you pointed out, they'd steal uh, model kits from anywhere they could and just kind of put stuff together on on the quick and dirty. Um, so these kit-bashed ships um, were, were kind of, that, that term came about whenever you see a ship that you just either don't normally see or it's not part of the regular, you know, Star Trek lore, but it's kind of there in the background, a lot of those kit-bashed ships... Uh, came about because they needed something fast and they needed to whip something up that was new and different but they didn't have a lot of time to do it um and i didn't know that that it was originally supposed to be a constitution class ship but that makes sense because actually i think in the pilot i think in the original um uh, encounter at farpoint i think there is a constitution class starship on his desk um and i always wondered why that was there because i'm like well that's not his old ship turns out probably was supposed to be um Mm. so yeah the constellation class starship um there's a whole lot of information on it if you go to um uh, memory alpha is a great site to go to if you look up constellation class starship um they give a whole history here that i won't really go into but um yeah it uh it is it's kind of that bridge design between the old uh constitution class and the old constellation class it was one of the earliest ships i think to achieve warp nine um which is probably why it had four nacelles you know super fast Um, efficient yeah exactly yeah so uh, and sorry paul then what was your (laughs) original question about my original question was if they put eight nacelles on could it go warp 18 (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't think there's a a, a multiplication effect that happens no i think there's a pretty fast uh, diminishing returns that you get although the the whole idea of like having the different numbers of warp nacelles does pop up in Star Trek lore. You do occasionally see some ships with just one. Two is the most common. I don't think you... Well, sometimes you see three. Uh, the finale yeah. of Next Generation yeah. has um, yeah. a ship yeah. with three. We won't get into that right now. Spoiler alert. But I think it's implied that um, a ship that has more than just a pair of them is is an er- experimental ship or a ship that's like pushing the envelope in terms of tech or speed uh, at the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this ship is here. It has survived. It's Picard's old ship, and um, the rest of the episode kind of hinges on Picard's headache and why is this ship hanging around? <laughs> Which... Now, there's, there's one thing that I think is worth pointing out here is that it's Wesley that points out that the ship is getting close to the Enterprise. And he just barges onto the bridge, <laughs> and he goes, if you check this sector, there's going to be an intruder alert. And, you know, at least in my mind, I thought there's someone on the ship, but it meant that there's something... I guess encroaching on the sensor area of the Enterprise, uh, and they have this whole fight on the bridge about whether or not um, uh, Wesley was trying to weasel his way into seeing the Ferengi as they appear on the bridge, um, and he was supposed to report this to someone else, and he'd been monkeying with the sensors, and all <laughs> yep. of this stuff. Right. Yep. Um, yep. So he's the he's the reason why they are aware initially that the uh, the the the, um, the stargazer is approaching. Which I think is a nice moment, too, because it's it's really establishing what will be Wesley's character arc, which is him trying to, you know, still be a kid, but also um, 
be involved with this structured chain of command, which, you know, they're kind of pointing out he's having some, some problems with, but, but really he's a smart kid and has useful information. Um, and so they, uh, the ship is there. They send over an away team and I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, I think it's like data, Yar, Worf and LaForge go to check it out. Um, Mm -hmm. just to see what's going on. And, um, they basically like, Okay, there's, there's. I find funny that they send over four people just to check to make sure. Presumably, it's not going to explode or something. I don't know. Um, then Picard beams over, um, and almost immediately, then we start to see there's something going on here because he goes back to to check his old cabin. Uh, he finds his old things that he didn't have time to grab before the ship evacuated, and <laughs> like, it's the biggest planted device. I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you would think they would try to put something small in his chest, but it is a giant pink glowing sphere that's in his chest. It almost takes up the entire chest, I think. Right, right, right. Um, and then he, you know, he grabs his head and oh, oh, you know, oh, his his headache is clearly intensified. So you know, tying the two uh, together. What I find funny about this and what I had a hard time with, and I remember like thinking about this in the episode, is something that huge in that chest and Picard's that debilitated and like nobody just happened to find it or cause he doesn't even bring his own chest over to the ship. He, I believe he has somebody else like Worf brings the, brings it over to the yeah. ship. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and I know Worf isn't the chief of security at this point, you know, Yar is, but damn it, man, something came over from a ship that's been out of Federation hands for like a decade. Maybe you might want to check that stuff. <laughs> cause yeah. there's a huge yeah. thing in there. Yeah. They wouldn't just be like, hey, is this, this is yours? <laughs> <laughs> this, I mean, you know, we found some stuff. There's like a book in there, um, some of your old uniforms. There, I mean, that's all looks... But this thing, what is this? You know, and then if they'd have held right. it up next to him and had him go, bah, his head, you know, <laughs> they might have figured that out. But sure. it could it could be that the what that the, the thing is actually making him not look at it. That's true. Mm. That's true. Maybe he's being directed away from it. And, uh, yeah, okay. I can see that because um, at this point they haven't clearly established, you know, when we see it, that it's a mind control device, but it, it, it really is. I mean, it's not like a mind control device so much, but they call it a thought maker, which I find mm-hmm. uh, interesting. But it, I guess if it can plant ideas in his head, then it could probably make him not look at it. That's, that's fair. So question, uh-huh. what... What does Troy do again? Like what? <laughs> like what's Troy's job? Um, what, what's her special power? What? Uh... Her? Yeah, yeah. It's. Oh, uh, she. It, it, this is the problem with putting a character in play, who has some sort of ability to to sense either thoughts or feelings or whatever well, what happens. Yeah, and the question like is this an energy device like can they not detect energy is this a psychic device like is mm-hmm. that not is that not what Troy's here for like is what else is going on <laughs> yeah that's it, sneaking this by well the Troy here there's they still haven't quite figured out as, as you're all are saying right they haven't quite figured out her powers yet right? mm-hmm. so she can mm-hmm. read the minds of Ferengis which she cannot do in future uh, episodes Oh, does um, she read their minds in this? She, she says she senses great danger from Bach and deception. Um, oh, yeah. And and she actually she in that scene she turns around and cuts she turns to Yar and cuts off the transmission on her own, um, going yeah. over the head of the captain uh, in that in that conversation. So <laughs> Which, she has some ability to sort of like, well, let's not talk to this guy anymore, right? And then as she's describing what we'll find out later is what this, this thought machine. She says, "I can sense two... Um, two types of thoughts here. One is the captain's and the other one is very mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's, it, it adds to, to your point, Paul, that maybe this is a machine that creates thoughts, right? It's not, it's psychic insofar as it gets to your, you know, to your, to your psyche, but it's a, it, it produces what it, you know, produces memories, not naturally, right? It's sort of a, a, a unnatural memory creation thing. Yeah. Um, and that Troy has a sense of what it is, but she can't figure out um, where it's coming from, which we need Wesley for later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and she sort of knows something's up, but she can't quite put her finger on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone's suspicious that something's wrong with the captain uh, as as this goes on. Uh, 
I'm glad you had mentioned that she was able to to like kind of sense the Ferengi because you're absolutely right. Later on, uh, probably by necessity of another different plot that they needed to just not make Troy be that. Nope, they're doing it. They're like they're cheating and stuff. Um, the Ferengi become a, a race of people who not only can Troy not sense with her, you know, I've said this before in the podcast, her Diet Coke flavored version of being a Betazoid, which is only being able to sense really emotion and not thought, but actually like full-blooded Betazeds with like thought reading capability are not able to read the Ferengi. Like that's later established, but clearly by this time, not a thing. So they later become Toydarians is what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> my toy darians yeah mind tricks that don't know work on me yeah uh yes pretty much yeah um okay. what they get right about this episode is they kind of they perpetuate that idea with with troy throughout the series that she's able to inform and advise and give some information that's there that's not readily apparent but not able to just completely draw it all the way through like she can sense that there's something going on in picard especially when he gets a headache that his thoughts have a duality about them but i mean based off of that information you're not going to be like well the captain's being controlled clearly probably right, right, by bach right, right. um it's like she only has so many points in her um in her perception <laughs> skill right and so well, she that'll would, build that'll right um so she sort of only gets part of the answer but not the entire answer when she when, when she does this uh, detect thoughts or something like this that. podcast has something for everybody level. folks this, uh, <laughs> this podcast has something for the starship model nerds it's got something for the role-playing nerds we've we've got it all here this is this is good stuff um yeah the so that kind of that becomes the central driving force in the plot that um this device is now on the enterprise Bach is using it, but they're not sure for what. Um, Crusher's obviously starting to get concerned about, you know, Picard. He gets to be in a real bad spot, I mean, really quickly. His his headaches become, like, overpowering, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that she, like, she like straight up sends him to bed and knocks him out, which I thought was really, like, <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, that's pretty bad if she gives him a sedative and literally puts him to bed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's where he has... Um, that's where the reveal is of what's being sent to him. He has that dream sequence where he relives uh, the battle. And we haven't talked about this, and, and so to tie it all together, there's also, with the reveal of this ship coming back, the other thing that Bach is clearly trying to do is he's trying to discredit Picard. Um, because Picard's captain's logs of the time say that his ship was attacked by an unknown aggressor, they fired back in self-defense, destroyed the ship, but the ship was crippled and they had to abandon ship, basically. So, mm-hmm. um, But there are now logs on the Stargazer that they've pulled from the computer that basically contradict that story. Um, right. So concurrently with the whole like, okay, so what are the Ferengi doing? What are What's with Picard's headaches? The other like part of this mystery is now what's what's not right here is did picard not tell the truth nine years ago or have these logs somehow been falsified um, right, right and all right. this kind of comes to a head right as his headaches get get kind of worse um i wanted to mention this and then see what you guys thought about it but i mean those three elements they're they're different parts but they are all pretty much part of the same story i mean there's not like a solid a and b story here it's basically just this mystery of this ship and just the different angles of it. How did you guys think yeah. that that like worked? How how did that play out for you guys? I mean, I, that's a good way to put it. I, I, now that you now you mentioned it, there it was. This is a bit tighter of an episode, right? We don't have any mm-hmm. character asides, right? There's no Jordy and uh, and Data trying to figure out the meaning of laughter, right? Um, <laughs> um, and and I think part of it is everyone's it's all hands on deck trying to figure out what's wrong with the captain mm-hmm. uh, and to figure out what's wrong uh, why the, the surrogazer is here right um and there's the suspicions about the uh, about the um about the the ferengi if there is a b plot it's the relationship between Riker and kazaga um uh. who's the other first officer on the on the uh who's the ferengi first officer and he's trying to speak with him as an equal uh, and try to figure out if you can get from him what's going on uh, on that side. But it's yeah. not really its own story, right? They they have a dynamic that is distinct because they're both first officers. 
but it's still in service of the main plot, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it does sort of fit in um, together with that. But yeah, that's a nice way to put it, right? This is sort of the whole sort of the narrative thrust of this episode. It's everything is being pushed in this in one direction. Yeah, it does work. It does work well, right? And and if anything, the, the lack of that B plot, right? It, it it almost just makes it seem like the Ferengi kind of got greedy having multiple plans, right? Multiple things and multiple backup plans. But I mean, that doesn't seem too off for someone in that position anyway, right? Someone who is so driven to this revenge, right? So it's kind of like, oh, well, they kind of get caught because they got so greedy, but he's also not thinking rationally, right? So right. it does, it, it works. Yeah, and it, it's, um, I think it all kind of comes together towards the end of the episode um when the uh it, it all it all it plays out pretty quickly towards the end um they're investigating the mystery they have a breakthrough data kind of comes in and he tells uh he tells everybody that um the logs are a forgery they were able to figure out you know what's going on that that clearly the the logs were forged mm -hmm. um well he says one of them is a forgery, right? And it's a it's a oh, great yeah. data uh, setup. One of these two logs is a forgery, sir. Correction, the log just found aboard the Stargazer is a forgery. As I said, that is one of them, is it not? That's effectively the same thing, right? <laughs> There's something like that that's very data. Right, right, right. A dataism, yeah, I forgot about that, you're right, yeah. Um, and it, I'm trying to remember exactly how this scene plays out, because like that happens, I think Picard quickly like clears the room of everybody except for Riker, and then that's when he tells him um, <laughs> they're at this point they're on their way back to the starbase with the Stargazer, um, and he tells him you know hey cut the ship loose release the Stargazer from the tractor beam number one sir the tractor beam sir are you abandoning no but her inertia will carry the Stargazer along with us. Or did you sleep through the Academy lecture on the conservation of tractor beam power? No, sir. A releaser, of course. Picard's, you know, he's delivering that as just kind of a straight order. Riker looks at him kind of funny, and Picard sort of talks down to him in that moment, which it's a little weird, but it's not completely out of character for, for Picard, especially in season one. Where he says well, the inertia will carry the ship. Obviously, we don't want yeah. to waste the power. You know. Yeah, and these are actually these the this scene and the scene after it are actually kind of ni nice character moments for Picard because this is a different, like you said, a different Captain Picard first uh, first season. He's more emotional. He's sort of less sure of himself, um, and so he tells Riker off, right? And then the next scene is the scene you mentioned earlier on, where he and um, Doctor Crusher in his quarters again. And they're trying to talk through his problems. He says, "I, I'm here if you want to talk about this," and he admits a lot of self-doubt. He says, I don't know if I was in my right mind. I don't even know what happened anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and we never see him admit with that level of sort of, 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 of confidence, right? I mean, at, later on in the series, he gets tortured, and he will not admit to not knowing. I mean, you know, he, he stays very steadfast and, 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 and strong. But here he really is doubting himself, uh, and it's not something that you see too often later on. A fight, Maxia. I destroyed an entire vessel entire crew did you have a choice i don't know anymore i just don't know how do i know i was in my right mind with maxia how do i know i'm in my right mind now crusher gives him a sedative um, and then he wakes up and he's dreaming he he sits in his chair and then he sees ghosts and fire everywhere in his room yeah. There's there's one other time I think where he's he shows that level of vulnerability, but it's it's only it's all the way in season four. It's after the Borg incident. It's the it's the episode mm -hmm. where he returns home and uh, he has the episode with his brother, right, 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 uh, right. Which is another conversation for another time. But you make a really good point that he he really very rarely drops his own shields, so to speak, in that way. Mm -hmm. And here he he is pretty vulnerable. Um, yeah, which I actually kind of took to be the effects of the Ferengi device, but you know now that I'm thinking huh. about it, I don't know. You know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is that throughout the episode, I think this is and this might be sort of implying something moving into the season, second season, where uh, we get Doctor Pulaski, and they have a much more yes. abrasive relationship, and <laughs> and I think Pulaski. what they tried to do here. 
Well, and, and, uh, but what, what, what I think the, the basis of that is that the doctor and the captain weren't supposed to get along. And yeah. in some ways, this is kind of playing itself out through, through this episode where um, Crusher would say, I'm the only one who can tell you to do something. Um, I need you to do this. Uh, I don't know what's going on. You've got to trust me. And they get it. You know, they come into loggerheads. But this last scene, he opens up to her in a way that I think maybe that was part of that, what Crusher could have become, at least in that first season, they're thinking like, well... Maybe this is uh, uh, it's not as it's not as curmudgeony sort of um, uh, friendly dual kind of relationship that let's say Kirk and McCoy had, um, but something much deeper than that. Yeah, um, and I guess they do come back with this, but that's one of those sort of things that sort of left over um, uh, as, the, as I think a lingering thing that they will try to go in the other direction with in the second season. Um, but I like this. This it was a nice quiet moment between these two characters, and then uh, and then, we, then the plot really moves quickly after that. Yeah, and essentially it's it's kickstarted because um, they th- who recognizes it? I think I think Wesley recognizes this weird energy pattern that he's been tracking for a while. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, Wesley Wesley just does everybody's job in this episode. Yeah, right. Like you take him out, and suddenly you know there's a lot of mystery ain't being solved in this episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's doing that. I mean, you could have started like Troy could have been gone at the beginning, and then she shows up on a shuttle halfway through. She's like, "Hey, everybody, I'm going to solve it now because I wasn't here before." <laughs> I don't know anything about brain scans, he says, uh, but yeah, exactly. And uh, so they lay out the brain scans that uh, that Doctor Crusher has been doing since the beginning of the episode, next to the scans that uh, that. Um, that Wesley's been detecting from space uh, coming from the, the Ferengi ship. Uh, lo and behold, they're the same. They go to talk to Picard about it. He's gone. He's already aboard the Stargazer. Stargazer, which was cut loose from the tractor beam, suddenly starts powering up its shield. So the final scene is starting to play itself out. Essentially, Damon Bach, in order to get his ultimate revenge, um, they I think they reveal like simultaneously aboard the Enterprise like his motivation. I think is that the piece of information that that Riker gets out of um, Kazaga or Kazago? Uh, they get some. Yeah, Riker gets it obliquely. He, so he he's able to sort of speak as first officers to uh, at a sense of duty and, and out of the ethics of the Ferengi, right? That there's something something wrong about the way that Bach is leading, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and bef- I think the scene right before Bach tells us his evil plan, Kazaga had. Um, well, I guess it's a scene after because he has to transport himself back to the ship. But Kazaga tells Riker, this is very clearly an, an, an internal matter, so we're going to back off. But I want to let you know that Bach is now in custody. And that's why I sort of see that if there's anything of a B-plot, it's this sort of Riker and Kazaga trying to work out the, the meaning of duty uh, as first officers, right? What do you do to your captain? Can obsession be, uh, is it a worthwhile thing when you set up a structure of command? And what does the second, what is the first officer supposed to do? Um, but it's not really fully formed. But yeah, that's, so that's that conversation, right? And, yep. And yep. Bach is the one who shows up. He, Picard's on the ship too, and he's like, ah, ha, ha, my evil plan is to make you feel bad. <laughs> you killed my son. You made me feel bad. I'm going to make you feel even worse. <laughs> and so he sets the, you know, the thought maker on, you know, full blast. And after Picard gets another raging headache, he basically goes full on into reliving the battle um, that the episode is titled for. So the. The ship powers up, the, the Stargazer, that is. Shields come up, weapons are active. Um, what's kind of sinister about it, too, Box even thought so far ahead as to automate the computer and have it respond to his voice commands. Um, right. So, like, right. he'll give out his orders and the computer will start to execute them. So the so the Stargazer basically puts itself into attack position and it puts the Enterprise in a rough spot because do they overpower this vessel, which they pretty much clearly could, um, or do they, you know, do they let themselves be attacked and possibly put the Enterprise in danger? And before they have a chance to to do that, they realize that he's going to swoop in and do what's called the Picard Maneuver. Um, and they set this up earlier in the episode, right, when they were talking mm-hmm. about the yes. original battle between the Ferengi and the Stargazer. Um, yes. But but this, we get to see it on screen. And I thought this was kind of cool. Like, it was kind of an interesting plot device yeah i i what i really liked the visuals of that maneuver so uh uh what what i really liked is that they use the old warp streak effect mm-hmm. for the um for the uh for the stargazer right because the new effect is the ship sort of stretches out 
and then it smashes together and then there's this big white explosion right yep uh, but the old the movie effect and in various ways is there's sort of like a rainbow stretching um and it, it extends past the ship right and they use the same effect for the stargazer i think it's a nice way to sort of place the uh place the ships in time uh, in some sense right and what what's really neat about well i guess not neat but what is i thought it was interesting when picard is first explaining the the maneuver Right. And he and I guess I don't know how the Federation keeps its history because Picard denies and maybe it's out of humiliation that this isn't a big deal. This is something I did. It was pro forma, right? I had to save the ship. But Geordi and Data recall this particular battle with with um, it's like they teach this in the academy. This mm-hmm, is so mm-hmm. important. And Picard's like, no, whatever. Let me use a pen. He takes up a pen and he uses a pen to describe how the Picard maneuver operates. And I thought, when will you ever see a pen again in Star Trek The Next Generation? <laughs> uh, he's got this in his hands, like, oh, you know, I just did this. And then Riker, everyone's filling in the blanks because they know that this is one of these, um, like, it's, it's a classic thing, right? But mm-hmm. Picard doesn't, uh, I've never thought about this as the Battle of Maxia, right? Um, but, you know, having built this up, right, now they're all really concerned, as you said right before, right, that, that the, the captain, there's no defense against the Picard maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, and to clarify, the Picard maneuver is essentially... Um, when you're faced against an opponent in order to perform a dodge um, and make yourself basically uh, unable to be attacked for a short period of time, um, you punch the engines into high warp for a split second, which in sublight distances, if you do it correctly, you'll basically teleport from one position to the next. And because it's faster than light travel, you'll appear to be both to both to sensors and to visual uh, in two places at once, literally two places at once. Um, and so you'll confound the sensors and you'll, you'll, you know, not be able to be detected. So you'll have a, the ability for a surprise attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they, they have to devise a defense against this maneuver, which has never been done before. Um, and they have to kind of do it on the fly and data comes up with a defense, which, um, <laughs> I find it funny that they're like, they basically it always comes back down to gas in in star trek <laughs> like, so i guess somehow to underlie the fact that it's like a scientific show and they have all this scientific equipment um but apparently it has to do with the compression of gas in in a space knowing you know where where the ship has appeared and so they they theorize they give the odds it might work and lo and behold it does and they grab it with uh with a tractor beam and um they managed to talk Picard down, basically. And, and it's, it's a weird, it's a weird uh, interaction uh, between Riker and Data there, right? Yes, that, yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Because Riker's like, "Oh, how do we stop this?" And Data again says something along, something very Data like, "There's, there isn't any uh, way to stop this." And they're like, "Well, come up with something then." It's just like, "Oh, okay, nobody ever told me to come up with something, so I will." The creative thinking process is part of the Pinocchioisms. Yeah. Of, of yeah. Uh, data that he just hasn't occurred to him to like oh I can cook something up cool yeah, <laughs> right. oh, yeah. And, and, but he's very confident in himself and Riker goes I hope you're right and he says no question of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like he knows this is gonna work inside uh, of about I mean 30 seconds or less he goes from there's no defense to absolutely this will 100% work <laughs> yeah what, right. just like between episodes just put him set him down in front of Wikipedia just be like make edits data just <laughs> <laughs> just call up on the library computer list of current problems beep, yes. boop, beep, boop. <laughs> and um it does work and and I, I i did find the resolution as well uh they had to talk picard through destroying the sphere with his phaser so he has this moment where he's like straining to get some sort of control over his faculties uh, Riker provides the verbal splash of cold water. Um, he, you know, phasers it, it explodes. And then I think the resolution is just he beams back to the Enterprise and they don't they just leave the ship there too? There's <laughs> like, peace out. See ya. No, they, they, they do tow it. Um, oh, okay. But I, I think the effect is so he, he, this is the great scene here where he blows the, the he says, fire the silver, fire at the silver orb and it explodes. Mm-hmm. And it's a gigantic explosion that That's throws really him big. like halfway across yeah. the bridge, right? Yeah. It's very clearly a stunt actor doing this because he's got more hair. Um, <laughs> um, and then he recovers and, um, and, and, and he stands up and he has this great sort of Shakespearean moment. He goes, 
let the dead rest or something like that and yeah. the past remain in the past and then he just sort of walks off the bridge and then you see them towing the stargazer uh, as, the, as the last image of the, of the episode yeah it's it's i mean it's a really satisfying and fast conclusion to the episode because um you know we've talked at length about some of the issues on some of these season one episodes but I almost kind of wonder in looking at this episode if this if the treatment of this episode was a real real attempt to try to course correct some of those early problems where <laughs> they sometimes had some B and C plots that just weren't they weren't effective they didn't seem to really go anywhere they were very distracting from the main plot um, there were also some pretty decent pacing issues where you know we'd go for a long period of time and seemingly not have much happen and then suddenly things happen like four or five at a time this whole episode felt like it was pretty focused um and pretty taut that way um you know it, it just it kind of sold itself right away there's something weird going on with the captain oh we need to figure out what's going on with the captain okay what's the deal with this ship oh no like this looks bad for the captain now with the you know i mean it just kind of goes from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and i think all of it's pretty I at least bought a lot of it because um, I think what sold it too was the the revenge story with Bach. Like I found that pretty credible. Um, yeah. And him pretty credible as a villain. So um, do we want to talk any more about the episode as a whole or do we want to kind of pivot here and start talking about our bests and our worsts or, you know, did anybody have anything else they wanted to, to throw in there? Uh, <laughs> I love the. I, I that's do. how you know you've got Trek nerds when you go when you hear notebooks actually flipping yeah, yes. pages. Yeah, a hold on a second. <laughs> through all these pages of notes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's uh, all these wonderful one-liners. I think uh, when uh, and I don't know if this is a bad read or, or this is the way they wanted the character to be, but when War finds out that the Frankie are going to come on the bridge, he says, "I can't believe they're coming here." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At least he um, did, he was looking out for security there, even before he was the security chief. Good on you. <laughs> um, and then the scene when um, when Wesley reports to Crusher and and Troy in the sick bay, and they leave in in a, in a hurry because they've got to get to the captain in time. He goes, "You're welcome, ladies." And then he goes, "Adults." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, if anything feels very '80s about this episode, it's that the fact it's like we got to give the the smart alecky kid a nice little one-liner before we get to the break. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's good. I forgot about that. That's good. So the thing, the thing I have in my notes um, is about Picard's weird pant cuffs. <laughs> Elaborates. I don't think I noticed this. Um, which I don't know that I've ever noticed, and I don't know if it shows up later. But uh, his pant cuffs looks just—they looked really weird. They were kind of like, kind of like bell bottoms, but kind of with like a weird triangle cut out of them or something. If oh I'm yeah, right. I know what you're talking it just about. looked really weird in this episode. I think that is part of the part of the uniform. I think that's I know, how the pants you know, are, are. I think it was one of those things where it's just like, huh. Maybe I've never looked at that part yeah. enough. Yeah. And it just looked weird. So, well, there is, um, to, to piggyback off of that, there is uh, some of that may have changed a bit because they do go through several costume redresses through the through the course of, of the series, specifically with Picard, right? But I mean, more in general, just um, the costuming uh, goes through a pretty significant shift from season two to season three. Um, So we see these style uniforms, which are very much the, I mean, people joke about the pajama uniforms, but they're very much, I mean, they're onesies, you know, they're onesies in space. Um, And in uh, season three and beyond, the uniform becomes much more of a, of a tunic and so much so that there's actually a belt. Uh, It's a belt that's like black on black, so you don't see it. Um, But they're, they're much more rigid uh, style tunic and they actually appear uh, uh, to me they look more uniform like when you get to season three these these kind yeah, of look... high collars and yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah oh yeah the high collars are probably the most noticeable difference too and the lack of the um colored stripe um so on the shoulders there's just the black stripe you know so all the shirts are either red or yellow or blue but on the shoulders there's the black but then right around their pips around the neck there's that single color stripe that everybody has right. they get rid of the stripe and as well with per- the, uh, perfect that you mentioned this burns because um what in subsequent seasons when picard gets up from his chair and then yanks his uniform down because uh-huh. it's been riding up that's called the picard maneuver <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> yep mm-hmm. yep yep 
which um does he does he do that here or he does that uh he does that with the new uniforms i think later right with the new uniforms with the two pieces on set they would call that the picard maneuver you get up and you have to push you have to pull the the tunic down as you got up it it would ride up too high there's two things that you can really look for uh as the series progresses it's that and then watch for the way will Riker sits down on chairs um it'll blow your mind um will Riker has a really strange habit of bringing his leg completely over the back of a chair and then sitting down because he is a giant of a man he's he's i don't think we've have we seen that yet Mm, he's done one first time if it's already passed oh we okay. should. That's, that's our. That's part of our po- our start podcast up. public start service. Start podcast over. Yep. Sorry, guys. We gotta reboot this thing. Yeah. We'll try to. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Well, good. Good note. Good note. Um. Okay. Should we go to uh, best and worst? Yeah. 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 Um. So Oslik, as the guest, you uh, always get the opportunity to go first. What was? Uh, we'll start low and we'll end high. So what was the? What was the low spot for you in this episode? What was? What was your worst? Okay. Um, what was the lowest part of this episode? Um, let me think very quickly. I'd, I'd probably say it was uh, Wesley Crusher. Um, <laughs> only because he sort of solves problems that, 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 that are invented for him just to solve them. Um, anyone else could have done this stuff. Um, and as you said, it's sort of let's let the, the, the 80s sitcom kid uh, enter in, right? Right. Um, but as but it does, you also say this is also establishing his character as someone who's trying to figure out how to be, um, you know, the, do- the son of, or the, the, the child of an officer on a, star, on a Starfleet ship. Um, but he was um, annoying <laughs> here. Um, and I feel for the fans who dislike him in this episode, but um, but that's that was my low. Yeah, uh, Paul, how about you? What was your what was your worst in this episode? Um, mine, mine. Uh, I think if I had to go with something, it, it's probably something we haven't touched on too much. Um, it's the the sort of suspension of disbelief that comes along with the Ferengi um, plan, but but more than anything, the fact that that uh, Damon Bach came up with this and implemented it on his own and fooled his whole crew with with presumably some other story um, to explain what they were going to be doing. Yeah. Uh, and they bought it. Um, and they got to this place without knowing the plan. Right? That like the, the idea that he was able to hide this whole thing, you know, finding a ship, finding the ship he wanted to find. Um, presumably repairing it a little bit, um, coming up with this complex plan with these thought bombs or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and then, Boom. And then like, just implementing it up to the point that he gets. Yes. It seems, and, like and he big... ends up. He admits that he spends his entire um, fortune on those two thought makers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he's, it's very, it, it sort of establishes him at very late as someone who's willing to give up on Ferengi ethics uh, uh, to get revenge. He's like, this is, it costs a whole, you know, two lifetimes of whatever it is, right? And I bought two of them just to screw with your mind, right? Now you're going to feel how I felt. Uh, bye. And then he disappears and then he gets arrested by his, by his crew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for but, not making profitable decisions effectively, <laughs> um, which you, you would think, that would have gotten called out earlier and i mean potentially it's that that power differential and he was just like oh we, it'll, it's, it's going to be profitable later don't worry right um and maybe that's that's coming from how the ferengi would act later right somebody would call him out earlier yeah um so i think that's the, that's the worst for me he's the he's the bernie madoff of ferenginar he's just like no it'll pay off later i promise it'll don't work. worry about it <laughs> don't worry about we'll it. find another ship <laughs> exactly uh for me i think my worst has to be um the that, that, that bernie madoff that topical bernie madoff reference <laughs> it's pretty bad yeah <laughs> ask your parents um so <laughs> no the, the worst for me is probably um this is a little nitpicky but i had a hard time with the thought makers themselves because why are they so effing big um like the i I just as a device that you use to like it's just comical even watching him manipulate it in that like room when he's spinning it around they're like you know and then 
the way that they portray the thought makers effects visually uh in the episode i thought was pretty cheesy looking like when they bring in his ghost officers and they have the ghost yeah. fire all over the place yeah. I, I was i was i mean i get it that's like late 80s television and, and effects aren't the best but i mean just do a simple flashback and intercut between that and an empty bridge we'll get it you know i mean like i think even audiences of that time would have been sophisticated enough to realize oh he's having a flashback like clearly right. So it, it just seemed like it was weird to have the, like it was just a weird frame to look at when he's sitting in a room filled with like these ghost people and ghost fire all over the place. Um, yeah. I was like, just just show me the scene, just like make the scene as it was. But maybe they didn't have the budget or I, I don't know. But it was just it was a very strange effect in a plot that was otherwise pretty much pulling me in. So that was yeah. that was my worst. That was they they reused that prop again sometime. I want to say it's uh, the episode. Uh, it's called Menage à Troy. Uh, it's the episode where oh. they, it's the mind scanner that they use on uh, Waxana. Later. Oh, I see. So it is. It's Frankie standard. Uh, it's their um, their style. What is it called? Um, technological architecture, right? This is what they think is sort of. It's the iPhone of the. Of, <laughs> yeah. Of <Frank> the <laughs> it's a symbol of wealth and power and technological advancedness all at once. Yeah, at the same time. Yep. It's it's Ferengi tech couture. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> um, Oslik, uh, how about you for your best the part of this episode? So as a, as a ship nerd, as you called me out on, it was absolutely true, and you're absolutely right to say it. I loved the, all the details on the Stargazer. Um, excerpt, the, the, the ship, I think, is really nicely uh, designed. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. It makes you ask lots of questions. Um, and the interior of that bridge, uh, I think it's just a redress of the battle bridge, but the mm -hmm. chairs are... Um, our 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 movie uh, our our uh, the movie era um, when and I think this is something oh I only noticed in the in the HD but they have a lot of shots from behind the con the helm console and they try to show sort of the, the you know they, I think they do a really good job sitting um, showing the bridge on screen and there's actually the word helm written on the um, on the helm console I didn't notice that before um, mm -hmm. all the the display readouts are in movies, sort of that weird sort of uh, three-quarter circle thing that's supposed to be the precursor to, to L-Cars. Um, and I thought all the touches were nice. And as someone who, when I first watched TNG, I was sort of angry at it because I wanted to see more of the Enterprise A and, and, and movie-style ships. And I thought that aesthetic was really nice. Uh, and I was sort of always offended by the flowing lines and the nice colors and uh, and, and sort of the organic feel of, the, of of TNG. And so when the first time I ever saw this episode, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's a, it's a movie, uh, era ship, uh, and it looks so neat, and it's got lots of stuff. And I can, I can imagine, like, oh, it's got four nacelles. Maybe it goes really fast. And, um, and, and it's got some sort of cool story behind it. And it's Picard's old ship, um, and it sort of adds a little bit more more to that so i really like the stargazer inside and out that's the best part of this episode for me yeah nice nice uh paul for you uh mine's uh mine's gonna be uh well first off i think that the the ship is great and that that was a great description of the ship um but as a fellowship nerd, I was eating that up. I just didn't want to stop it. I, it, was, it, was, it was real good. <laughs> it was real good. I was like, it looked cool. <laughs> um, no, no. My my best um, is the interplay between Riker and um, I'm going to forget his name now. I forgot to write it down. But the other Kazaga, um, Kazaga. Mm -hmm. um, that interplay and the idea that um, there's that sort of diplomatic solution that. Um, that Riker would reach to, right? It, it's creative problem solving and, and the idea yeah. that like, hey, I, I, your captain seems to be doing weird stuff and if this was my captain, it, it, we'd get into a situation where I might start to question him and, you know, I'm talking to you as a first officer to first officer. Um, it's, it's, so it's a really interesting out there of, of a different way that we can tackle that, that sort of problem. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and paints yeah. a good picture for in the future that um, that the first officer and captain are not always going to be on the same page in every situation, and I, I, yeah. I think that's a good creative way out of it, other than just um, some of the other solutions we've seen so far, right? That are um, weird magic or um, <laughs> shooting things, or um, I'm going to keep flipping through my notes, or or battling, or space jellyfish or right, right, um, right. 
this is something different, right? And it has a good feel. Well, it's a hu- it's a human solution um, yeah. to a to a problem, and it's uh, it's I think it's just inherently more interesting because of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, thinking yeah. outside the box. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I like uh, that too. Yeah. The um to to piggyback off of um well both of your points I wanted to point out uh you know us like I I was I was tempted to go with um the ship aesthetics and and some real good you know some decent tech in this episode because there really is a lot there for um for that kind of sci-fi fan in this they did a nice job with the introduction of the ship um the set dressing was really nice for the bridge so much so that yeah. it kind of they they lay this as the groundwork on how to handle this for episodes going forward where they're dealing with ships from the past because it is a it is a thing that that will pop up again in fact this class of ship this constellation class starship we'll see again in a season two episode which is actually a really fun episode uh called peak performance um, yep, yep. where uh, Riker takes command of the USS Hathaway to do like a war game simulation. Um, so that I thought that was really nice too. Paul, your point to um, to, to Riker's uh, solution and, and his interplay with, with Kazago, I think really that piggybacks off of what I think I selected as my best moment of, of this episode, which is just this episode does a nice job of laying the groundwork for, for what next gen is going to become they do a decent amount of universe building in this episode mm-hmm. um they talk about the picard maneuver which is a thing that gets referenced repeatedly it, it is something that that he's known for it's it's something that he, he puts his name on um the the revenge plot with damon bach actually comes up in a season seven episode again um where he right, tries to right. take revenge on him again um so that that sort of um you know Picard's long history as a Federation captain and and as a player in the Federation. Um, they do a lot to 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 kind of underscore that. And I think what's nice about that too is is it you really draw a lot of uh, comparisons and they do a lot of separation between captains because again, we kind of have to remember that this series when it launched was still very heavily in the shadow of of the original series. I mean, these guys were the new kids on a very established block at this point that the original cast had had broken new ground in in the late 60s they were still making movies at this point in fact um i believe this season premiered the same year that star trek IV: the voyage home came out um so the the original cast was still very active in trek um and and what i like about this is you begin to understand how picard is a different captain than kirk um, that movie Kirk is very different than than TV series Kirk, but but you know next gen Picard is is much more seasoned, much more like Kirk eventually becomes when he gets a lot of experience and a lot of uh, history behind him. Picard already mm-hmm. kind of brings some of that to the table, and and this kind of sh- this episode I think does a really nice job of selling that there's a lot to this this universe. There's a lot to Starfleet. There's a lot to these characters. There's a lot specifically to Picard. And and a lot of these things that they plant seeds for, while not being major plot elements in in other uh, episodes, really become part of the the tapestry of what what the next gen era is and how it's different from the movie era or from the original series era. Yeah, I think that's a really I think it's a really really great point because you think about uh, Kirk, uh, well at least movie Kirk, right? His great claim to fame was uh, him cheating on the Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. Right, that was he. He never experienced the no the no win scenario, and Picard does experience it. Right, I mean, he has to give up on his ship. Um, he doesn't know he has to fire, and he doesn't know what what's going to happen. And, and luckily, he survives. Right, and I think that's um, the be- sort of in a strange way the best case scenario. Kobayashi Maru. Right, um, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. uh, that you see the, for- the 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 other the aggressive vessel, aggressive vessel is not going to stop shooting on you. What are you going to do? It's a no win. You have to do the best that you can, and that's what that sort of builds Picard in some sense uh, as a as a character very differently from Kirk, who will find a solution that will end up with him being a winner. Um, and I think just to contrast the last time I was here, you compare this Picard with the Picard that is um, um, that is vindictively uh, exploding um, torpedoes over a planet, uh, and, <laughs> right. and then and, and, and like and, and screwing with the internal dynamics of this of, of this planet, right? And it's that's more Kirk than it is 
the Picard that we see in this episode. And, yeah. and, and so I, I fully support your 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 good your good point in this episode uh, or for this episode that this is the Picard that we will begin to sort of emerge uh, will will become more prominent as the seasons as the season goes on and, and how they're going to set him up. Yeah, so much so that I kind of forgot about this until we were just talking about it, but um even the way that they play the thing that they're famous for, right? That, uh, I mean, Bones will rib Kirk and say, you know, Cadet, you're looking at the only, you're, or you're looking at the only person who beat the no-win scenario. And he'll he'll kind of brush it off a little bit, but he's clearly smirking and, and pretty proud of it. But when people bring up the Picard maneuver, uh, even when they describe it in detail, uh, and someone's like, you know, oh, that's brilliant. He, he like, shakes his head and goes, it was a save-off-skins maneuver. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. it, he's very clearly like, I was a guy doing a thing like it was that or nothing, you know, so it's yeah. like we yeah. did it and, you know, I'm not proud of it, but but it, we lived another day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this for me that that really hit home right as the credits rolled. I was like, this is these characters feel familiar. This is this is the show that that I know. This is this yeah. is TNG. So yeah. um, final pass on this then is uh, do we add this to our watch list, uh, our kind of ongoing tapestry of, of recommended viewing for people who are going into the series cold? Is this something that somebody needs to to watch? Is this required viewing or is this just for lovers of Trek only and and the weak and faint of heart need not apply? Um, <laughs> what uh, uh, Oslik will have you go first again. Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, as a ship nerd, you have to see this ship. I mean, I mean, it may be dated for folks who are more interested in in, in, in shinier things, but I think it was a really nice bridge between both uh, the the movies and TNG. I think as you, I think you're right that um, everyone has a job to to do in this episode, and it's more or less what they do really well. Um, and no one really fumbles anything except for Worf not checking right. the, the thing. But who who knows? <laughs> Troy, right? Troy um, a little bit. Troy. But but we all expect these things from these characters, right? They they seem to they seem to work well together. And I think it's a matter of the writing that there's no B plot, as you mentioned. Everything comes together really well here. And I think as an example of what a good season one episode might be, this might be one of those that you want to see and say, well, that was one of the better ones. Yeah. Yep. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Paul. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I I don't know what I said initially when we were putting putting the um you know the season together I, I think i probably would have said watch um and then I, while i was watching this i think I, I was leaning more towards don't watch um like you know this is a weird episode blah 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 huh. um and then having this conversation i think i'm back in the camp of watch it um <laughs> so you've really come full circle <laughs> so yeah i think <laughs> i mean there's some weird stuff in here um there's there's some the, uh, sort of the other side of the coin of the things you said, right? There are some places where people do weird stuff, and there's a lot of hand waving to get around the fact that that um, this plan shouldn't work as smoothly as it does, as long as it does. Um, right. Even not on the Ferengi side, right? Even if it was just Damon Bach in a ship, um, this they they shouldn't be so easily fooled for so long. Um, but but you have raised a lot of really good points about. Um, that that mythos building, um, certainly the the ship. Um, though I'm sure people could look up some pictures online of the ship if they wanted. <laughs> um, maybe build a model. Anybody have a model of this? Man, that would be good. I don't. I've got it several, but not this. I don't have. I don't have a constellation class. No. <laughs> Anybody that's looking for a a, a birthday present for Burns. <laughs> Do you now know you can buy a <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's a lot in there that um, that either is showing um, some of that depth or is, is planting some of those seeds. Um, the Fringy are a lot better than the last time we see, see them, even though they're still not good. They're still like P minus maybe at best. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's a watch. I think it's a watch. Yeah, I I originally to to go back to the scorecard, Paul. Our original thesis for this when we were putting it together, we both said watch for this episode. Okay. That's where I would have guessed. Yeah, and I um I put it on there because of its relevance to the show as a whole because it's important Picard backstory. But I in watching it, this is one of those episodes, one of the few episodes I think in season one that that um when I rewatch it, pleasantly surprised me how how much I actually enjoyed it. I remember um. 
you know, you kind of do that thing where if you've, if you're a Trek veteran, if you're a TNG veteran, you kind of brace yourself before you go into season one. Cause you're like, okay, yeah, we know, yeah, we know how this is going to yeah. go. All right. Just prepare yourself. Um, but this was an episode where when I watched it, I'm like, you know, this is legitimately, it's pretty good. This is, this is okay. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's still a little cheesier than the show will eventually become. Um, it's still awkward in some spots, but I think the overall majority that they that they aim for they hit, um, and and this episode I think is is largely a winner um, all the way across the board. So this is an easy recommend for me. Um, yeah. So this will go this will go on our watch list. This is three across the board. Um, our next episode will be covering uh, hide and Q. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jacob, will be joining us uh, for the podcast. Oslik, I hope we have you back because it's uh, it was a delight as always. Thank you, sir. Oh well, thank you. And it's nice to know that you're a ship nerd too. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go log on to uh, Star Trek Online right now and do a whole bunch of camera spins around my ships uh, uh, in commemoration of this episode. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the the <laughs> hero pass that you've got to do with your with your ship. It's always. I'm going to log on to Etsy and see if anybody makes this ship out of yarn. <laughs> awesome. So until next time, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And watch for the giantly, covertly installed thought-controlling devices. They could apparently be anywhere. <laughs> we'll see you Shoot with time. a phaser. Yeah, done. Quickly. Destroy it. Phaser. Destroy the sphere. Destroy the sphere.